I've been praying for this Sabbath. Uh, I, I mean, I pray for every Sabbath, but I've been praying for this Sabbath in particular because I'm just going to come out and, and say it. This Sabbath is going to be challenging. I'm, we're, it's, it's a challenging text that we're going to unpack today because we're looking at this motif. We've been journeying through this series where we're trying to figure out what does God actually mean when he calls us to be a local church? Right? We're a different organism. We're not like any other organism in the world, any organization. We, we have life. The local church has the greatest strength to impact a community through the lives of every individual. And with that, we have a responsibility to know what it is that God calls us to be. And so we've been journeying through this series of being an alternative community and we've looked at how we, we start with the foundation, right? Every good builder knows you have to have a solid foundation. And so our foundation is that Jesus is our Messiah. And then we looked at the culture of the kingdom of God. Because Jesus, he comes up out of the water having been baptized. And he starts going through these cities. And he's preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. It was his message. Jesus was really a single message preacher. And it was the kingdom of God is at hand. He spoke about it more than anything else. And kingdoms are made up of cultures. And so really he was playing off of what he would have learned as a, as a young boy about the culture of the kingdom of God. And we looked at Leviticus and how Leviticus actually points us to that culture. A culture of justice and equality. A culture of other-centeredness, of forgiveness and reconciliation. And then we looked at the ethic. How it's, uh, Christian love can be defined as this. You first, me second, always. It's sacrificial. And then last Sabbath, we went into what the identity of Christians, members of the local church, really, uh, really means. And we found that there's this motif in the New Testament. And it's summarized in two words. In Christ. That's the motif. And so we've been unpacking that. And, and last Sabbath, we had to learn kind of the, the broad scope of what that means. And we looked at the story of a prodigal son who went and asked his father for his inheritance and then went and spent it on selfish living and how we often read that story through the lens of the son. But in reality, the story is that the son never stopped being a son because his identity was found in being a son of his father. And so even when we have gone out and, and spent our inheritance that God gave us on selfish living, God has never stopped seeing us as one of his children because, and then we looked at this verse in Ephesians, where it says that we were predestined to be in Christ, there's that motif, before the foundation of the world. Which means that there was a savior before there was sin. Because God is that type of God. He's a God of love. And so we cannot outsin His grace. Somebody say amen. amen. We cannot outsin His grace because where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more because we cannot outsin that grace. But there is this thing, there's this power that Christians can have that we often leave on the shelf. And so we're going to unpack that today. But before we unpack it, we have to define some terms. See, there's this word that we, th we, there are some, Christians are kind of guilty of throwing around some words that we just assume everyone knows what we're talking about. But if you're like me, every time I show up to a church service, I learn a new song. Every time. It could be a song that was written millennia ago. I'm going to learn a new song every single time because I'm learning every time I show up to church. 
I learn a new phrase. I learn a, a new, you know, a new beautiful truth about God through some verse that, you know, might be slightly foreign to me by showing up to church. And so we need to define some terms so that when we, we know what we're talking about. So the term we're going to define is faith, right? Because faith is somewhat ambiguous if we think about it, right? Does it mean trust? Does it mean believe? What, what does faith actually mean? The Bible has a very succinct definition found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. But if you're like me, that still sounds pretty ambiguous. Substance of things hoped for, okay, okay. You have to hope for something you don't have. Okay, I get that. So it's, so it's already tied to something that we need that we don't have, but still it's slightly ambiguous, right? So Jesus knew that faith was this concept that the Jews kind of struggled with, and so he told a story, well, actually, he's, it's, it's a story found in the Gospels, but it's a real event that illustrates faith. See, here's, here's the story. There's a centurion. He's a Roman soldier. And he runs up to Jesus because Jesus is doing these things that no one else can do. I mean, he is raising the dead. He is casting out demons. He's healing the sick. People who have been born with that sickness, he's healing them. And so this centurion, he's not a Jew. He's a Roman. He's an outsider, and he runs up to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, I have a servant in my household, and he is paralyzed. Will you come and heal him? And Jesus, because it's Jesus, he says, absolutely, I'll, I'll, come, I'll come to your house. But then the servant, plot twist, the centurion's like, no, 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 Jesus, don't come to my house. I'm not worthy. Just say the word, and he will be healed. And Jesus marvels. He, he, he almost just takes a step back because he turns to his disciples and he's like, I've never found someone with so much faith. Because the centurion understood faith, but some of Jesus' disciples struggled with understanding faith. And that, that incident in the life of Jesus shows us that faith is really this. It's very, it's very simple. It is believing that what God says is true and acting out of that. Which means that when you have an obstacle come up in your, in your way, but God has said that that obstacle is not going to stand, you can still keep running even though that obstacle looks like it's in your way. Because God, if he said he's going to take it out of the way, he'll take it out of the way. If he said that he has taken it out of the way, then he has taken it out of the way. And so when we talk about faith, it is really believing that what God says is true and it happens. Because the centurion, he told Jesus, no, don't come to my house. I'm not, I'm not worthy. Just say the word. And then he says, for I know how words work. I know what command looks like. For I tell a soldier to go and he goes. I tell a soldier to do and he does. Why? Because he has authority. Jesus has authority because he's the creator. And because he's the creator, he has the authority to recreate by just saying the word. So, that's, so we've defined faith, taking God at his word. And so let's unpack this verse that we read in Romans, because we're talking about this alternative power that the church has. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Jesus, for it is the what? The power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So, notice, Paul here is writing. He's writing to a church in Rome. He's never visited Rome. He wants to. I also would, I, I would like to visit Rome one day. It's beautiful. There's so much history. So I, I resonate with Paul on this. He's never been to Rome. He really wants to go, but he's he keeps being delayed. And so he's writing this letter to a church that he's never met. And so he's just leading with, hey, here's the good news. 
I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed of the story of Jesus. Why? Because in that story is the power of God. Not an aspect of the power of God. No, the power of God to what? To salvation for everyone who believes. Now, as Christians, we sometimes think of salvation along these lines. Anyone here seen uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Right? We tend to think of salvation along these lines, where in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, right, you have Willy Wonka, and he's got this chocolate factory. Right? I mean, oh, man, what a ride. Right? And how do you get access to it? You have to get a golden ticket. And so there are some contestants or some people that they, they do everything that they can, right? There's, there's some who come from, you know, the upper class, and so they have a lot of people opening chocolate bars to try to find this golden ticket. And then you have some that are, you know, from the lower class, and they're just doing everything they can to give just one chocolate bar, hoping that the golden ticket is there. And we tend to think of salvation along the lines of getting a golden ticket to heaven. But if we look at the, what the word salvation actually means, it means to salvage. It means to restore, right? It means to redeem something that was broken and give it its purpose again. Now, I know about salvaging because my wife is a thrifter. I mean, everything she owns is, a, is from the thrift store. And we'll go there, and guys, you know that no man gives up their clothing. So going to Goodwill, there's not a good men's section, right? Because we just hold on to the stuff. I mean, my tie, I have a rule. Three stains, and then it gets tossed. So I got two right now. I mean, I'm, I'm embodying my philosophy. Three stains, so next time I spill something on this tie, you won't see it ever again, right? But girls, for some odd reason, they're just like, yeah, I don't like this anymore, and we're just going to, we take it to the thrift, thrift store. And so we'll go, and Crystal might find a cardigan or something, and, and it doesn't have a button. And she's like, I can salvage this. I could sew on a new button, or I could get somebody to sew on a new button. Or she might see something that's got a stain, and I'm just like, nope, that's, nope, throw it out. We're not doing it, nope. And she's like, do you think this is oil? I think I could get it out. Right? Because she'll salvage it and redeem it to another purpose. And so the gospel is not getting a golden ticket to heaven. No, the gospel is being redeemed. The gospel is being reshaped into the image of Christ. It's not about, okay, I get to walk through the pearly gates. That's a benefit of the gospel. But the gospel itself is, is intimate union with God. Not, you know, we know about God, but no, we know God. That is the power of God, is the gospel. To everyone who believes, and then it says this, for in it, in this gospel, in this story of Jesus, the righteousness, which is a very kind of archaic religious term, it means the character of God, his moral uprightness, his perfect love is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so the way that we access the power is through faith. But if we don't understand faith, we might understand 99% of faith. And if we don't understand that 1%, our relationship with Jesus is going to look like this. It's a roller coaster. You'll have highs, and then you'll have lows. And then you'll have highs, and then you'll have lows. And then you'll have highs, and then you'll have lows. But you might be thinking, but Christians in the Bible, believers in the Bible... They had moments of darkness. They had moments of trauma. They had moments of brokenness. I'm not saying highs and lows as uh, you're, you're going through a hard time 
right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying highs and lows of you feel a lot closer to God, and then you feel really far from God. And then you feel a lot closer to God, and then you feel really far from God. Because faith is the avenue in which, or the, the, the way that we access that power, which means that it's never by how we work. It's 100% in believing what God has already done. But if we believe only 99%, then we're going to be white-knuckle Christians. We're going to be grit-our-teeth Christians. We're going, to, we're going to feel like I'm a little bit, I'm, 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 in, I'm, I'm in the low end of the roller coaster, so I'm going to go order 10 devotional books, because if I read those devotional books, now I'll be closer to God. But no, 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 you were never farther from God because you're, you were believing 1% off on what real faith is. Devotionals are supposed to help us understand the love of God in a deeper way, not help us feel closer to God. Right? So if we don't have a good understanding of faith, we'll have these roller coaster experiences. So let's look in the Bible. John chapter 3. We're going to look at an individual who should have never been on the roller coaster, but was. And his name is Nicodemus. So John chapter 3, and I will be reading from the, from the New King James Version. John chapter 3. Because we're going to look at where does this power come from? How do we access it so that we can leave here in good cheer? Because when the gospel is preached, you can't, you, you can't be somber. You, you leave here almost wanting to, uh, dare I say it, dance. All right, you want to do a little bit of a skip. So, John chapter 3, picking up in verse 1. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus, he comes at night because he's a religious leader. So he's supposed to know this stuff. But yet he doesn't because he sees Jesus, this man who's also God, doing these amazing things. And he's like, wait, where does that power come from? Wait, how are you able to do that? Like, people expect me to be able to do, that, to do that, and I can't do that, but you come on the scene, and you're doing that. Where does that come from? That's the question. How are you doing these things? Look at Jesus' answer. John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus re replies, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Jesus' response to the question of where does this power come from is, hey, you have to be born again. Your first, first birth is, kind of, is faulty, right? David says this in Psalm 51, where he says, I was conceived in iniquity, and in sin my mother brought me. Or... I think I got that verse kind of mixed up. I was, yeah, I was conceived in iniquity and instant my mother brought me forth. So, I mean, our first birth is faulty. We're born selfish. And so Jesus says, hey, if you want to know where this power comes from, you have to be born again. You have to have a second birth. You have to be, you have to be given a new life. And so Nicodemus is, he's just, he's dumbfounded. He's like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. All right, I asked, how do I have this power? And you're telling me I have to be born again? How do I get born again? I'm an old man. How do I, 
How does this process work? And, and Jesus is just like, how, how do you not grasp this? You're, you're a teacher. You're, you're supposed to know. But then there's this verse that, that makes us think that, the, that this being born of the Spirit, even though it's 100% a supernatural thing, we tend to make it more complicated on ourselves because of this single verse. Here's what it says in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. We read that verse, and we think, well, it's just going to come randomly. I just have to try to live a good life, and eventually I might connect with the Spirit. It's kind of like you ever be traveling through the airport, right? And you have those, like, walking escalators, right? And so you, you're supposed to, if you're going to stand, what do you do? You stand on the right, right, so that people can pass on the left, right? Well, sometimes there's a lot of people that are just congregating and you can't, so you have to take the other path, right? So you're not, you're not getting any assistance. You're walking on your own, right? Sometimes as Christians, we think, oh, until I get the spirit, I'm gonna, I, maybe I'll just, I'll walk on the side and I'll just happen to look over and, oh, there's the spirit. Oh, okay. Hey, let's link up, right? Just like almost randomly because of verse eight, we think, well, how, how does this happen, right? But Jesus is speaking directly to Nicodemus because he doesn't understand. And so he's telling, he's trying to show Nicodemus that you don't understand a lot of things. It's not that you don't understand where the power comes from. You don't understand the God of the power. So let's pick up in verse 9. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And then Jesus points Nicodemus to a passage that Nicodemus would have been very familiar with. It's found in the Old Testament, and it's the story of a bronze snake, a bronze serpent. You have the Israelites, they're traveling from, from uh, slavery, from Egypt. They've been delivered, and now they're on their way to the promised land, and they get bit by these snakes. Now, I know some of you in here are super friends of snakes, so you just love them. They're like your favorite animal of all time, right? So, so they're out on this hike. They're hiking through the desert, right, going to the promised land, and they're getting bit by snakes. And so Moses goes to God and says, hey, what do, what do we do? And God tells Moses... Make a serpent statue of bronze and lift it up. And when people get bit by a snake, they're to look at the serpent statue and believe and they'll be healed. Now, could you imagine actually getting bit by a snake and being told, you want to know how to be healed as you look at this statue? I mean, that t it's a statue. It doesn't, it doesn't even move. And yet it's going to heal me? What faith, right? Well, look what Jesus says in verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved." Jesus is telling Nicodemus that it's through faith in what he is about to do that one is able to be born again 
and have access to the Spirit. And the way that one is born again, Jesus hints at it, is through this thing called baptism. But you might receive the Holy Spirit, and, and that's kind of like a, a, a yes but no. So let's look at a verse. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. We read this last Sabbath. Notice the in Christ motif. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with what? The Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So when you hear the gospel, when you hear that Jesus came and stood in your place and died in your stead and took all your shame and your guilt and your sin, and you believe that, you are gifted the Holy Spirit. That's the process. You heard, you believed, and it says you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's how you obtain the Holy Spirit, is believing the gospel. That's how you access the power, is by believing the gospel. So let's look at Romans chapter 6. Because there's this thing called baptism that Jesus talks about to Nicodemus. One out, you have to be born of the Spirit and water. Born of the Spirit and water. So Romans chapter 6. And the reason for baptism is not because you say, okay, I now believe these certain things. That's, sometimes that's, that's how baptism comes about, is you sit down and you study with like an elder, with a pastor, and by obtaining knowledge from the Bible, right, to where you now know this Bible verse says this, and this Bible verse says this, and this Bible verse says this, you think, okay, yeah, I'm ready to get baptized because I now know enough, right? I mean... I don't think we'll ever know enough about God. I mean, we're going to be learning the intricacies and the depths of his love for eternity. I mean, the Bible says that the angels, who are much smarter than you and I, long to look into the gospel. They like to study the gospel because in it is the greatest revelation of the love of God. I mean, it's just, ah, oh, why would you not want to explore the gospel when it just tells you how much you're loved and how much you have access to the one who loves you? And so Paul, writing to, to this church in Rome, he wants people to understand what baptism actually brings about. And so in Romans chapter 6, picking up in verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So baptism is the second portion of the hearing and believing. Because in baptism, the reason why you, one gets baptized is they're lowered into a watery grave, being knit together with the death of Christ by faith, right? It's not because of your own works. We're not, we're not talking about how we work our way to heaven. It's by faith. You are lowered into the water. And then when you're raised up, it says that you are able to walk in newness of life. You are born again. But then Paul continues on in verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. 
knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon or consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when we go through baptism... It is a faith action of receiving the Holy Spirit. We are publicly saying that we have, accept, we have heard the news of Jesus. We've heard of his love for us. We've heard that he has taken our sin, and we are accepting that. And now by believing the gospel, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then we go through baptism, where we, by faith, are symbolically laid to rest. We symbolically die, and then we are raised up to a newness of life. Which means... You want to know what's amazing about Christianity? It's, it's the, the most amazing thing about Christianity is that Jesus is no longer in the grave. I mean, have you ever met someone who, who died and was resurrected after a couple days of being dead? I have not. But did you know that the Holy Spirit that brought Jesus up from the grave after a day of being in the tomb is also given to us? So the power that raised Christ from the grave is supposed to be given to us? But I see a lot of Christians that aren't living resurrected lives. I see a lot of Christians that are, we're, we're doing our best, but, we're, but the power's not there. And so we go to retreats after retreats, or we order devotional books, or we, or we get special Bibles, or we go hear special speakers, thinking somehow I'll be able to get the power. But Nicodemus went to Jesus and said, where does this power come from? And Jesus says, you have to be born again. So there's an Adventist pioneer. He, he was, uh, he's an educator. I have a special, a special place in my heart for educators. My wife is one. He, at one point, was the president of three Adventist universities. Apparently, he liked to really work in administration. He says this about the resurrection power. How shall we know the resurrection power? Only by dying. By that death, which means a giving up of all that pertains to ourselves, as completely as if physical life became extinct. Only by this means can the resurrection power enter our experience. It is not because of a lack of power, but because we do not appropriate the power. We do not grab the power. We do not access the power. That we are not delivered every day from the bondage of sin and made victorious in the Christian life. It's because we leave the power on the table. We leave it up on the shelf. We don't access it. That's why we don't love the way that Jesus loves. That's why we're not uh, knit together with one another. That's why we have divisions. That's why we have lingering uh, anti-gospel sentiments. That's why. It's because we leave the power on the table because the Holy Spirit, we have not accepted the Holy Spirit. Even though the Holy Spirit wants to come into our hearts because we might believe 99% of what faith is, and we believe 1% is our job. But he predestined us to be in Christ before the foundation of the world, which means that it was never up to us, because we were always deemed a child of God. And so how do you access the power? You hear the gospel, and you believe the gospel through faith. And then you go through this faith ordinance, not because you will be saved afterwards, but because you have received the Holy Spirit of baptism where you tell people that you are going to live a dead life. 
You're no longer living for yourself. You're living for others. Which then allows you to say, you first, me second, always. That's the only way. The only way. That, I mean, let's think about it. Naturally, right? I have a wife to care for that I love. I have a dog that I love. I have, I have family members. Why would I ever put myself in a position where I'll say, yeah, your life over mine, always? Why would I do that? Well, it's because I died a long time ago. In fact, seven years ago. I died. I got baptized. And I surrendered all of my rights. I said, Jesus, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll say whatever you want me to say as long as you lead. Because I surrendered my life. And I entered into, I, your grace is too good. Your love is too good. I will give everything for it. And the funny thing is, I had never been given a Bible study. But I just knew. I saw how my grandfather lived and I knew. We had, we had had some talks. He had explained some things, but we had never sat down and gone through, you know, 300 Bible studies or 10 Bible studies or, or five Bible studies. I just saw him live out his faith with a supernatural power. And I said, I want that. And you could not convince me otherwise. To the point where I gave up, I gave up some friends. I gave up some pursuits because I wanted that power. Look at this verse. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We have access to the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Somebody say amen. amen. Oh, man. But notice, how do you, what, we, we tend to think, okay, I got the Holy Spirit. I've been baptized. Yeah, yeah, I've been, done that, right? Done that. But, but how do I live that out, right? We tend to think, okay, I, I received it, but now it's, now it's me to walk, right? Now it's my job to, to short, you know, straighten myself up, change my diet, change my clothes, change my talk, change all that. No, 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 no. Look at what this says. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Christ is the one through the Holy Spirit that walks through us. It's, not, it's never about us doing the work. It's always about us having faith that he dwells in us. He says this in Hebrews, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in, my, in, in their minds I will write them. So it's not even about us memorizing it. He will put it in. You want to know what's crazy is when I showed up to Southern Adventist University in Chattanooga, I'd been baptized, I'd been a Christian for two weeks. And I enrolled to study to become a pastor. Because God was just doing something in my, in my life, and I wasn't, I had no idea. I didn't know where it would lead. I died. I died. I said, I'll go wherever you want. I died. I got baptized. And so I show up, and every other phrase out of my mouth is, is, is an expletive. Because I come from a rather rough background, and, and so I, you know, I would say, okay, you know, uh, what's the difference? I remember sitting across from the table with my grandmother, and she's talking to me about language, and, you know, et cetera. And I asked her, I said, what's the difference, grandmommy? from saying, I love you, or I blank love you. In my mind, they're the same. In fact, in my mind, the second one is, I love you more. And I don't, she, she must have, she had the Holy Spirit speak to her in that moment, because she didn't press me on it. But then by junior year, I realized that my vocabulary was radically different. I didn't need somebody to sit me down and tell me to straighten up my language. I just didn't want to insult people anymore. I didn't think racial jokes or sexist jokes were funny. 
I, 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 didn't, I didn't think anyone being put down. I, now, you, you, some of you know me that I like, to, I like to give a little jabs, especially Sumesh. I like, to, I like to give a little jabs here and there, right? It's playful banter, right? It's almost like my love language. But I, but I will not put somebody down. I won't. My language changed. I didn't have to have anyone tell me to change my language because God wrote it on my heart through the Holy Spirit. It's Him doing it in us and through us. All he asks is that we have faith. Paul goes on in this motif that Christ may dwell in your hearts through what? Through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Are you filled with all the fullness of God this morning? Because we have access to that. And it's just through faith. It's just by seeing what God has said and believing it wholeheartedly. In fact, when we believe something, we change our lives around it. Right? If, if we were to leave this sanctuary and you're going home and you get a notification that there's a major accident, how, what are you going to do? You're not going to go sit in traffic, let's be honest. We're, we live in Atlanta. Atlanta's an hour away from Atlanta. We sit in enough traffic. You're going to reroute because of the news. It's going to change your travel. The gospel is not good advice, it's good news. It's about something that has happened. And we believe that and we live that that event happened and it changes our everyday present reality. Which is why Paul heard in a church in, in Galatia, modern day kind of Turkey area, that they had heard the gospel, they had believed the gospel, and then they were trying to, to act as if now it was, they could take it from here. Okay, Jesus, yeah, you saved us, you know, you, you redeemed us, but we, we got it from here. We're going we're gonna to work out our salvation from this point on. And so he says this, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Sometimes we think, oh, in order for us to get back to the closeness of God, we have to work it out. No, 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 no. That's when we have to exercise our faith that he, can still, that he still considers us one of his children. Because what happens when, you, when we leave here and we stumble? And then we start to think, oh, man. The word that God spoke to me today, I, I, I squandered it. And, and now I'm back to where I was. What happens when we fall back into that addiction or we get into that argument or that pride swells up within us or we continue slandering or gossiping? What happens then? That's not when you have to work out your own salvation by your own doing. That's when you need to exercise your faith that God wants to step in, that you've been redeemed and that you've been believing a lie about yourself, and that's why you were stumbling. Paul, in Romans chapter 1, he says, look, these people that have gone off and done all of these, these things, the reason why they're going off and doing all these wicked things is because they believed the lie instead of the truth. And the truth is that God loves you more than you'll ever be able to comprehend. And he loved you before he created you. He created you with a purpose. And when you went off and, and fell into sin, he still loved you. And he gave grace because he stepped in your place and took your punishment. And so it's not by us working it out, 
that we all of a sudden get back to being close to God. No, we have to exercise faith that God wants to still be close to us because he's never been far from us. It's by faith. Notice what Paul continues to say. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. We received him by faith at the beginning, so we walk in him by faith forever. It's always by faith. It is by faith, through faith, in faith. It's faith. Which means that we have to understand what faith means, right? It's just believing that what God says is true. If, I, if my wife came to me and said that she loved me and I didn't believe that, it would change our dynamic, right? It would complete. What happens if I didn't clean the dishes? Right? And she still says that, but I know that she got frustrated with me for not cleaning the dishes, right? If I believe that she doesn't love me now because I didn't do the dishes, it's going to change our dynamic. I have to believe that when she says she loves me, that it's true. And so I have to believe that when God says that there's nothing I can do to send my way out of his grace, it is true. That it's not through me all of a sudden becoming righteous by my own works. No, 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 no. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord by faith, you are to walk in him by faith. Because in Christ we have redemption. In Christ we have justification. In Christ we have this word called sanctification. In Christ we have the fullness of heaven. All by grace through faith. And so we just have to learn how to exercise the faith. Not through white knuckling, grit your teeth. Christianity, by exercising our faith that he is actually who he says he is, that his promises are true, and that we can live by them. Because Paul said in Romans, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by what? Faith. So the power is the Holy Spirit. That's the power that we live by. The, the same spirit that, wrote, that raised Christ from the grave, but we access that spirit through faith and always through faith. I learned this when I applied for summer camp. See, I walked into the, to the student center at Southern Adventist University. It was my, uh, the end of my freshman year. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. There are several options. You could either go canvas, where you go knock on doors and try to sell literature, which, as an introvert, I know that's hard to believe, but as an introvert, that sounds incredibly terrible. Just, I have a lot of friends who went and canvassed, but man, that's, nope, 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 nope. I even tried it. Nope, a terrible idea. So I was like, okay, I could go serve as a missionary for the summer somewhere, or I had some friends who wanted to go and work at summer camp. And they told me how great summer camp was. And so they were working at Nasoka Pines, which is in Camden, South Carolina. And the camp director, I, I, I remember walking in, and here's Cahutta Springs, which is the Georgia Cumberland Conference camp. And there's a huge line to, to try to get an interview, to get a job. And I think, wow, that camp must be popping. And then there's another camp, and then there's another camp. And all of the, they're, they're, the lines are huge. And then there's Nasoka Pines. And nobody's there. And I say, okay, well, this is, all right, well, we'll try it out, because that's where my friends are going to work. So I remember sitting down, and I meet the camp director. His name is Rick Faber. And Rick is a very, he's a very straight shooter. He's very stern in his look. And so I remember thinking, man, this guy, how, how's this guy in ministry? Like, he just seems so mean. And, but he offered me a job, and all my friends were going, so I said, you know what, I could probably, I could probably endure, right, a, a mean camp director to hang out with some friends. So I get there, and we have camp orientation. 
And Rick gets up and he says, now I have to make this preface every single time for all the new hires. He said, some people think that I'm mean or that I'm unapproachable. I don't understand it. And then he says, look, I'm smiling. <laughs> He's like, I don't, I don't get it. People just think that I'm not approachable. And he said, if you ever have any issue, please come and talk to me. And I heard that, and I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe that, because he said it. Rick is now like an uncle to me. I went back the next summer. I spent all summer. I put a dent in his truck bed by backing it into a trailer on accident, because I had never driven with a trailer before. But he trusted me, and I failed him. And yet, I still keep coming to approach him, because he told me that I could come. I put a footprint in freshly laid concrete because I was not paying attention and was talking to someone and I just stepped and all of a sudden went knee deep in freshly laid concrete right in front of him. He still tells the story to this day. He thinks it's hilarious that I just wasn't paying attention. I just stepped right into concrete, ruined my shoe. It was awful. They had just spent hours laying the concrete and I ruined it in a second. And yet I can still approach him because he told me that I can approach him even when it doesn't look like by his facial expressions that I can. I took him at his word. Rick will be the first to admit that he's not Jesus. But Jesus says that we can come to him with everything. In fact, he says that we can, we can bring our biggest fear, our biggest relapse, our biggest again we sinned, Lord, we can bring it to him because his love is not conditional which means that you cannot out his grace because there was no condition for him to love you, and so there's no condition for you to lose his love. And so we just need to believe that, and it will change everything about our experience. There's not a moment that he doesn't want to be close to us. And so there might be some in here that say, you know, I've never really had the Holy Spirit encounter or enter into me. And so if you, if you want to just raise your hand and say, yeah, I want to do that. I want the Holy Spirit just to come into my heart. I invite you to do that now. And then also, there might be several individuals who, who might be contemplating baptism. Now, I'm not going to invite you to stand or come up to the front or anything like that. But I want you to meet me in the foyer or in the fellowship hall because I want to talk to you about it. Because Jesus said, look, the, the reason why you get baptized is it's a faith exercise as really those first steps to go into the grave and to be raised up according to the Spirit. It's a faith exercise. And so if you want that, I want to invite you to meet me in the fellowship hall afterwards. We still have another song to come up. But I want to pray for everyone who might want to, to just put their hand up and say, I want, I want the Holy Spirit to change something in me. Because I know that I need that. I need that daily. That's why Paul says, I die daily. Because he has to remind himself every day to not believe the lie, but to believe the truth. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for the access to the power, for we know that the power is really you, the creator God that steps into every one of the situations that we create, and you recreate it. You are the salvaging God. You are the redeeming God. And so, Father, we thank you that it's never up to our performance, for you performed on our behalf, being perfect and living our life of perfectness and then yet still dying in our place so that we by faith can access that power. Lord, we thank you for taking every obstacle out of our way in how we can have a relationship with you. And so we praise you. 
And Lord, as we hear this song, we just ask that everyone who raised their hand, that you would, we, we have heard the good news and we are believing the good news. And so we pray for you to seal us with the Holy Spirit because you have said that you would. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.